I was so disappointed last week that we came to the end of our series, Fruitfulness on the Front Line. So disappointed, in fact, I've come up with a fresh talk to link in with that this morning. And we're going to uh, move it through because I think it's a great addition to what we've learnt and to the heart that we need to have. As people, remember here at Shirley Baptist who are seeking to SOS, serve our Shirley, this year through showing our Saviour. And I don't think it's possible to show our Saviour effectively, to be fruitful on our own front lines without being a praying people. I think that's like trying to eat a roast dinner through a straw. I don't think it's possible. And I don't know about you, but I know in my own life, as I reflect upon it, that any failure in my life is a failure of prayer. Because I know that prayer could have avoided it for me. Any sin in my life, prayer could have prevented in me. Any need in my life, prayer could have afforded to me. I know that much more than I need to preach, I know that much more than I need to plan, I know even much more than I need to pastor, I need to pray. I need to be somebody who can pray things through because I've got a heart to want God's best for his people and for this community and for the world. And though we know that we ought to be a praying people, if you're anything like me, you know if there's one area of your life that you can struggle with, it can be in the area of prayer. John Bunyan rightly said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you have prayed. So let's cement the talk this morning in one simple sentence as we try to pray it through. God never does anything apart from prayer. That's great when you can reduce a message down to one sentence. And if only I could do that. But there it is. There it is. But let's unpack it a little bit. I was thinking of the, the little boy who phoned a vicar. And he asked the vicar to come and pray for his sick mother. And the vicar recognised the boy. He said, well, you go to the Baptist church. Why don't you go and ask your Baptist pastor to pray for your mother? The little boy said, yeah, he said, but I don't want my pastor catching what my mum's got. (laughs) Now, obviously, you know, whatever the motive of the little boy, he clearly didn't hold out much hope for his sick mother anyway, did he? Not if he thought the person that would end up praying for them was going to be the one that caught something. And what I want to focus on this morning is in regard to our front lines of ministry, but in the sense that it's not just that we need to be a people who pray about them. I want to garner that hope within us all that we're a people that begin to expect great things from God in light of the fact that we pray about our front lines. One of the... the, Things that I read about prayer as a a young boy that has stayed with me all through the years is this great quote from Reuben Archer Torrey. And he said this, and, and I think this is brilliant. He says, prayer is the key that unlocks all the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. All that God is and all that God has is at the disposal 
of prayer. But we must use the key. Prayer can do anything that God can do. And since God can do anything, prayer is omnipotent. So think about it. God never does anything apart from prayer. If we've ever been ill and restored, someone was praying. If we were ever once lost, which we all were, but now we've been found, someone was praying. If we were ever surprised by the way that a real need in our life was met, someone was praying. If we ever got up in the morning worried about the day ahead and discovered at the end of the day that those worries came to nothing, someone was praying. Because God does nothing apart from prayer. And the question is this, if the key to getting God to work is prayer... What is the key to getting prayer to work? Does it lie in some expert, advanced technique? You've been on the right course. Does it depend on some religious form of words? Does it hang on being in some kind of mystical trance? Does it revolve around turning up at the right place, at the right time, with the right people? Well, we all know that we ought to pray, but I think we often struggle to pray. And that's why John, in this couple of verses here, at the end of his first letter, gives us three fail-safe, foolproof ways in which we can come before God expectant of what God can do and work and achieve on our front lines. Because God never does anything apart from prayer. And we need this morning to get onto God's wavelength to be fruitful in our living on those front lines. And I don't know if you're somebody that's been frustrated at one time or another by having a mobile phone and discovering when you really needed to use it that you didn't have a signal. I think it's a great encouragement for us this morning to know that when we're on God's wavelength, there's never a flat spot. We can always get a signal The line is always open, amen, because of Christ. And so how do we do it? Well, let me give you three quick things to go out and work in your front lines as you bring it to the Lord and start to pray it through. The first thing is this, confidence in who the Lord is. You're going to pray it through, you're going to be on God's wavelength, you're going to be fruitful on your front line. Well, have confidence in who the Lord is. John tells us in this letter about a number of things that we can be sure of as Christians. And in verse 14 of this particular chapter, he says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. This is what we can be absolutely sure of in approaching God. And you will find, if you've got a Greek lexicon, that if you looked up the word that John uses here for confidence in the Bible, you'll see that it literally translates as freedom of speech. So for a Greek politician, if you can go back in your minds, when they stood up in the assembly of their own government and people, they were able to freely express what they were thinking. 
And so too, that's our confidence as Christians. People who've been bought and paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ have got a confidence to simply stand and express what we're thinking to God. Isn't that marvellous? I think it's great. (laughs) It's getting on God's wavelength. It's not how eloquently we pray. You know, that's not the issue here. It's not even how fervently we pray. John, John says to be fruitful on our front lines, to put it in the context of which we've been sharing, is how confidently you pray. You're coming to a God of whom the impossible is not impossible. If that doesn't boost your confidence, I don't know what is. I can understand you getting disappointed with me. I can understand you getting disappointed with the services of the church. But you never be disappointed with the Lord because our confidence is in who the Lord is this is the confidence we have in God that's why George Muller could say prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance rather it is laying hold of his willingness I love that sometimes some of us think we've got to twist God's arm don't we you know We've got to work with God the way that some wives work with their husbands. We've got to get him in the right mood at the right time, you know, and just know how to press his buttons, and boy, there it is. Well, you haven't got to do that with God. No, our confidence is in who the Lord is. We haven't got to overcome his reluctance. We've got to lay hold of his willingness. There's no one who wants to bless us more, as we said last week, than the Lord that we know and love. That's why the Bible tells us, approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? Why? So that you can be frustrated. So you can get more depressed than you've come already with. No, so that you can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Who hasn't got a time in need? Hey? How often on our front lines do we say, Lord, help me to know how best to answer this? You not pray like that? I do. Lord, let me be bold enough to stand for you on this. Lord, show me the way to model you through this. Lord, give me the wisdom to handle this tough time. Where do we go if we don't go confidently to the Lord who brings it alive for us? You're confident of God. If you're confident of God, you're going to be a person that prays it through and I find it's a marvellous thing that I can come before God I think if I, if I got an invitation to Buckingham Palace and the Queen asked me to go and visit her do you know I was thinking about this this week I don't think I'd be very confident I think I'd be quite nervous <laughs> I'd be quite unsure you know what should I wear how should I act what should I do you know I'd be a nervous wreck before I got there And yet the king of the universe invites me to come before the throne of grace confidently. Because he's opened that way in the Lord Jesus. Oh God, give us that confidence. We are not citizens talking to our prime minister when we pray. We're not subjects talking to our queen when we pray. We're not workers talking to our boss when we pray. We're not slaves talking to our master when we pray. We are children talking to our Father when we pray, who happens to be the ruler over all the universe. Isn't that what it's about? 
right relationship with God. Isn't that why when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, that it began his prayer, Our Father, because confidence of prayer is born out of right relationship with God. You in right relationship with God this morning? Then have confidence to pray. Confidence to pray. I love the way that uh, John goes on to say, this is the confidence we have. Underline that. Pronoun, we. Because here's where the relationship kicks in. Who's the we he's talking about? Well, if you go back to verse 13, which is where Kevin started the reading, he's talking about those who are children of God. He's talking about those who are in the family of God. Not through their goodness... Not through special invitation, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Because all can come. Are we in the family? Then pray confidently. Have a confidence that you're close to the Lord. That's why somebody said, prayer is whispering in the ear of God. I like that. (laughs) Isn't it great to think that we have got the ear of God? Now when we say we've got the ear of someone, it doesn't mean that we've robbed them of the ability to wear glasses, does it? We haven't literally physically got their ear, have we? Because they'd have nowhere to hang their glasses. It simply means that we've got the favourable and formidable attention of the one that we're talking to. We. Our confidence is in the Lord. And look at the proposition. This is the confidence we have in. In coming to God. And I love that sense that adds to the confidence that we have here. No wonder the hymn writer said, what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Because our confidence is in God. It is not in prayer. We are to pray in faith. But our faith is not in our prayer. Our faith is in the person of God that we come with our prayer Two. Amen? He makes it possible. That's where the confidence in the Lord lies. Prayer is a gauge, therefore, of how much do we believe God? What are you asking for? Hey, little things, most things, some things, all things. Big things. Well, there's nothing big to God, is there? Everything's small to God, isn't it? It is. That's why you can have confidence in him. Because the writer of the Hebrews says, without faith, you're not going to come believing. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But of course the implication is that with faith, it's easy to please God. And anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We've got a God that we can come to because our confidence is in him. Our front lines need to be front lines where we've got on track with God and we're on God's wavelength so that we can pray into the situation at any time, anywhere, for anyone and have confidence in the God that we come to. Trouble is we get so preoccupied with what we want to say at times that we can forget the one that we're saying it to. Secondly, look at the commitment to what the Lord says. 
Here's another beautiful thought that John puts before us in the second part of verse 14, because he says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Anything. Anything. Somebody said it this way, and you probably heard this, nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer except that which lies beyond the will of God. And that is one of those statements that it's difficult to get your head around, a little bit like the statement that somebody sent me this week in this bit of breaking news. Did you read this on Facebook? I love this. A man who took, a man who took an airline company to court after his luggage went missing has lost his case. It's great, that, isn't it? <laughs> but the point is, we can never lose our case if we are committed to what the Lord says and pray according to his will. The confidence leads to the commitment to follow through in what God is asking us to do. And we are to pray in the will of God. How can you pray in the will of God if you don't seek the will of God? Because if you don't seek the will of God, you're not going to know the will of God. And if you don't know the will of God, you're not going to do the will of God. That's why there's a commitment angle here, isn't there, in what we're talking about. And we need to desire to do God's will. And that's often the rub, isn't it? Because the purpose of prayer, as many of you will know, is not to get our will done in heaven, but it's to get God's will done on earth. But is that something I desire? I'm asking myself. That's why the psalmist says right at the end of Psalm 139, you search me, Lord. You test me. You see if there's any offensive way in me. Because I can't trust my own heart at times. My own heart will always think the best of me. That's why it's a Jacob. It's a deceiver. If I want a good opinion of myself, I'll ask my heart. Because my heart thinks very highly of me. And your heart thinks very highly of you. But it's not what my heart desires that's the issue when it comes to prayer. I'm not committed to getting what I want. I'm committed to knowing what God wants that is best for me. If I had the good sense to pray it in the first place, I wouldn't need to know his will. But I do. Do we desire God's will this morning? You say, that's very restrictive, Sean. I tell you, if you think praying in the will of God is restrictive, you're like the minnow that's concerned that the Atlantic Ocean is hemming it in. There's freedom. If you want to desire God's will, you discern God's will. And you discern God's will through his word and through his spirit. People think that God's will is like those eggs that we get the children to hunt down at Easter time. You know, that they're quite difficult to find. It's not. Most of God's will is already written there for us in his word. I mean, he doesn't tell us specifically what job we're to have. But there's the principles in God's word as to what kind of attitude that we're to have in approaching the job that we've got. What kind of responses that we make. It doesn't tell us in God's word specifically, does it? What kind of films I should watch. What kind of television programs I should tune into. What kind of books I should read. It doesn't tell me that specifically, does it? Thou shalt not watch Ant and Deck on a Saturday night. doesn't say that, does it? It's just common sense. You don't need the word of God. No, I don't need <laughs> But what it does say, by way of principle through which we can discern it, is that we ought to think on those things that are pure, those things that are 
lovely, those things that are admirable. Do you see that? So we desire God's will to discern God's will, and it's there in his word, and if we working with his word and through the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, we're prompted to move in the direction that God would have us to move in. That's why this morning, and I'm nearly through, don't get panicked, we've got a whole load of these booklets called Try Praying. Because we're joining as a church with the initiative that we've got here at Shirley among the churches together to take a number of these booklets, and I'm going to encourage you all to do this. Two or three of them, that's all that you need. They're in a box at the back. Please don't leave without taking at least one. And just having it there ready, available, read it through, just a few little stories of what's possible when God steps into a life and begins to answer prayer. And you'll find yourself on your front line at home or at work or in your area of sporting expertise, wherever it happens to be, the unemployment centre, it doesn't matter. In a queue at the shop... And you will find, once in a while, if you're praying for it, confident of God to it, that the Spirit is going to prompt you to try and bring something in to your front line that's going to be a blessing. And it might be that this Try Praying booklet just gives you the opportunity that opens the door. I'm not asking you to take a couple and just shove it into the hands of the first people that you meet. That's not the point. The point is, take a few books, say, Lord... Who would you like me to put this in the hands of? Who's going to benefit from reading these stories? Who's going to be blessed in trying to turn to you for the first time and just ask you to step into their life and situation? That's what I want you to do. Because if you desire God's will and you discern God's will, I don't think it's stretching it too far to say to you that we ought to do God's will. But I don't think you'll ever know God's will. If you know at heart and God knows at heart, you've got no intention or desire to do it whatsoever. Why on earth would God want to show you what to do when he knows you're not going to do it? Hey, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's like having a satellite dish on the side of your house and no television. Makes no sense whatsoever. I want to be somebody in my life, and I can only speak for myself, who desires God's will because I know that his will is better than my will for my life. And I want to be able to discern it through his word. That's why I read it. Not to preach messages to you. I don't read the Bible to preach messages to you. It's not a study book. Because God wants to preach a message to me. And I read the Bible not to get to know the Bible. I read the Bible to get to know my God. I don't read an instruction manual on my washing machine to get to know the instruction manual. (laughs) I'd never do it, would you? If I have to read it, it's for one reason only, to get to know the machine. Amen? So do it. Follow it. That's the commitment. And I just ask myself and I ask you, are we open to do it on our front lines? Because if we are, the last thing this morning, very quickly, if I can uh, get it to the front. Have the conviction at why the Lord hears. Now this is a beautiful kind of uh, conclusion to what we're saying. You know, because if there is, and I hope there is within us, that confidence to come to who God is and that commitment, you know, to know what God wants or what God says for us, then ultimately it brings us to the fact that we've got a conviction at what the Lord hears. The Lord hears us, to put it simply, in order to heed us. 
to answer us. That's why we can be sure he knows that he hears us and we know that we have what we ask of him. Isn't that beautiful? If he hears us, we know that we have what it is we've asked of him. There's a big difference, isn't there, between asking somebody, can you hear me? And asking somebody, do you hear me? You know? I mean, can you hear me is always a question that they throw out from the front. Can you hear me at the back? It's a redundant question because if they can't, they won't hear it anyway, will they? (laughs) But when you ask somebody, can you hear me? You're basically, you know, asking them, you know, are you able to comprehend the sound of my voice? When you're asking somebody, do you hear me? What you're asking them is, have you taken it to heart, what I've said? Now, we've got a God, when we come confidently to him and committed to know his will, what's the promise? He hears us. He responds to us. There's an intimacy here. There's a closeness here. Every Tuesday morning when I pop along to see the mums and toddlers group, that group in the Spurgeon's Hall is full. It's brilliant. You've got all the children running around. You've got mums and dads and carers that are sitting around eating and talking. And once in a while if you go in, you think it's just nothing more than a hullabaloo. But then suddenly, you'll notice if you stay long enough, one mum or maybe another mum will just suddenly jump up and run in the direction of their child because they suddenly heard their child crying. Nobody else heard it. But that mother's ear was attuned to the need of her own child. You, you, you know, you parents, you understand this, don't you? You can be in a room of crying children, but you know your own child's cry, don't you? Yes, Sean, we do. You haven't forgotten, have you? We have a God who is attuned to his children's cry. Attuned to his children's need. Amen? And that's why we can have a conviction that we know. Twice in this little verse, John says, we know. He's not offering an opinion. He's offering a conviction. We know that God hears us. And in light of the fact God hears us, God answers us. So we know two things. God responds to our prayers. We know that. How does he respond? Sometimes he does it directly, doesn't he? Straight away. Oh, they're great answers, aren't they? (laughs) I love it when God steps straight in, don't you? Right. Can you shut him up in one minute, Sean? Let's see how good the Lord is, eh? Sometimes he responds directly. Sometimes, as you know, oh, that's the wrong one, go back. Sometimes he responds by delay. He doesn't come straight away, does he? Because it's not just that God wants to give us what he knows we need, but he's got to give it at the right time. That's why he didn't rush to get to the tomb of Lazarus. Because he didn't want to heal Lazarus, he wanted to raise him from the dead. Because I think that says quite a big statement, don't you? Sometimes he doesn't do it directly or through delay. Sometimes he does it differently. Wonderful. When God sometimes doesn't give us what we're asking for, he gives us something that's different because it's better. I heard about a pastor who was praying for a beautiful wife in a big church. And he said, well, God answered it differently. I got a beautiful church and a big wife. Well, we don't always get it. (laughs) We don't always get it the way that we want. But we get it the way that we need. And sometimes 
Sometimes God gives it to us to get us to the place where we can hear his direction for our life and move us on in his will. But listen, he responds. I don't want you leaving here this morning thinking that God doesn't respond to our prayers. God responds to our prayers and we can have that conviction as to why that's possible because the Lord hears. Sometimes he does deny us. Sometimes he says no. Not because he wants to be mean. Not because he wants to be cruel. But he just wants something that is better than we would even know to ask for. And then the last thought here this morning, God rewards our prayers. We know that we have, says John, what we asked of him for. Can you imagine how that will impact your front lines this week? Before you go to work, pray. Before you go out to engage in that sporting competition, pray. Pray with the confidence that we've been talking about because it's going to have impact. Pray about the little booklets that you're going to take away. Try praying. Put it into the right hand. What impact is that going to have where you work, in your home and in this community? I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand everything about prayer. I honestly do not understand everything about prayer. But I know this much, that I've got a God that I can come to and a God who makes a difference. You hear this morning, you don't know God? Well, I'm not asking you to be good. I'm asking you just to be honest and say, Lord, I'm not good enough for you, but you were good enough for me. Please forgive me and come and be my Lord and Saviour. You've got a situation at work, you don't know what to do? Pray. Pray and step back and see how God responds because he promises to reward you with an answer. Trust him for what you don't know in light of what we shared and what we for absolutely sure do know that nobody can love us more and nobody want the best for us more than the God that we come to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And it's there to encourage us and we feel encouraged because we're on front lines that are not always easy places. And you never promised an easy life. You promised that you would answer our prayers. But Lord, I remember that Paul prayed for you to heal him and you didn't heal him. You gave him the grace to deal with the sickness that he had the thorn in his flesh. Some of us, Lord, we're praying for you to get us out of a situation that we're in and you put us there to work it for good and for your glory. Some of us, Lord, are struggling in our place of work and we'd love for you to move us on, but you've put us there to build our character and to strengthen our faith and to grow in confidence as to what we do come to you with and ask you for. So Lord, you know our hearts, you know where we are, you know our needs and situations. Please we pray, we're going to ask you in Jesus' name to meet those needs and we believe you for the answers that are going to be right for us, arriving at the right time for us and arriving with the right results that may not be easy for us but will be good for our place of work, our home life And Lord, bring honour and glory to your name forevermore. So thank you. Thank you for one another. And thank you for what's promised. 
Help us to go and live it. In Jesus' name, amen.